0: Another great episode of Stick Like Blue Radio. I am your host, Jim Palmer. I'm the Dream Business Coach, and this is the podcast to learn how to create your dream business so you, too, can live your dream lifestyle. I'm the founder and creator of the Dream Business Academy and the Dream Business Coaching and Mastermind Program, and I coach entrepreneurs and small business owners at all levels how to build a business of their dreams. So they, too, can live their dream lifestyle. Today's episode is brought to you by Dream Business Academy. That is a three-day live event. Our seventh event is taking place in uh, Rhode Island, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Let's get that straight. It's September 27th, 28th, and 29th. Uh, Dream Business Academy is a marketing and business building event, unlike any other, where you're going to learn how to build, how to create a million-dollar platform, which is exactly how I've created my many businesses. And you can learn more at dreambizacademy.com. That's dreambizacademy.com. We have early registration discounts going on right now. And by the way, if you mention the coupon code podcast at checkout, you can save $100 off even the early registration. So dreambizacademy.com. Use the coupon code podcast and save $100 off your registration. So let's get on with the show. I'm really excited this week's show. I got a special guest, a um, an entrepreneur and marketer, Kevin Donlin. Let me briefly introduce Kevin. We'll bring him right on. Kevin Donlin has been involved in marketing since 1994. He has sold one of the first eBooks online, payable by check, and you had to mail it to a post office box. <laughs> That's really early. That was uh, e commerce in 1994. And from 1995 to 1998, he was webmaster for FedEx.com, where he's worked with the pioneers of online marketing. Since 1998, he's been a copywriter and marketing advisor for clients, big and small, delivering sales gains of more than $1 million on multiple occasions for web pages, email promotions, sales letters, and print ads. He's been interviewed by ABC TV in Detroit, Fox and NBC News in Minneapolis, CBS Radio in Los Angeles and New York, The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Fortune Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine, just to name a few. He's the author and co author of five books, including his newest book called Marketing Multipliers. Kevin Donlin, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, Jim. Terrific. Thanks so much for having me. I really look forward to this.
0: My pleasure. So, did you actually work for FedEx? That was uh, I, I read I read that with interest. <laughs> that, that's correct.
1: They were actually a client for the marketing communications firm where I was a, a copywriter and uh, an editor. But yeah, they were uh, our number one client. They needed help with this thing called a website uh, in 1995, yep. and they uh, they said we need someone to help answer the emails. We get about five emails a day from people who have <laughs> what a dream that would be huh? five emails yeah maybe six oh. on a busy day and uh, they cast around for volunteers at my MarCom firm. and they remembered that they hired this weird guy a few months earlier cuz he had an email address on his resume they would never seen that before that was me um, and so they figured well if he if he knows the email he probably can figure out the web so they put us together <laughs> and uh, we all wow. together my client yeah my client was a uh, They were incredible. It was fun working for them. At the beginning, we were answering about five to ten emails a day. And about uh, two years later when I left, I had two full-time employees working under me. We were doing about three to 500 emails uh, per day. And uh, it was like uh, I tell people it was like being a mechanic for the Wright Brothers. I was just kind of a witness to history. And I had a a hand in in, in shaping the, the content and so forth. But it was just terrific, a lot of fun.
0: That was crazy. You know, I, I mentioned that because my brother started with FedEx like literally a year into the company as a part-time mechanic because they had their their vans were like a used fleet. He just retired <laughs> two years ago as a as a senior VP. Yeah. He's done very very well for awesome. himself for for sticking it out. So uh, I, I know a yeah, lot about FedEx. Yeah, yeah. Ahead. So. So, Kevin, your entrepreneurial genes, did you kind of get those from your parents or grandparents, or are you the first one to venture off the, uh, oh, a, the off the range, so to question. speak, of getting a job?
1: Yeah, you know what? That's a terrific question. So the answer is, I guess I sprouted out of nothing. Uh, my father worked for General Motors for 37 years, and he, uh, his father before him was a farmer, before him was a... Uh, a guard at the Springfield Rifle Armory in Massachusetts back during the Civil War. So there's no <laughs> entrepreneurial blood. My grandfather on my mother's side, actually my mom's uh, dad, that did own a store, and I used to work there as a kid. So I suppose he's the only entrepreneur I can think of off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, that's that's a great question. I from an early age I knew I was going to work for myself. Uh, one of my heroes growing up was Thomas Edison, and so I just always envisioned myself in a laboratory doing stuff maybe blowing stuff up or doing experiments or whatever. But I knew I was going to work for myself from a very early age. And so I, like a lot of entrepreneurs my age, you know, I'm over 50. I had a paper route growing up um, from about age 13 to 16. I used to get up at 5.30 every morning to deliver the Detroit Free Press. That's probably the most valuable job I ever had until I worked for myself because it trained me to do, you know, all the stuff we have to do as entrepreneurs. you got to get up whether you want to or not uh trained me to get up at 5.30 in the morning. I still do, so that was incredible. You have to go sell. You have to do collections. You have to do operations. You have to manage employees because I would have to Shanghai my brothers to help me if it was really snowy out or we were late. So, yeah, it was uh, the best entrepreneurial training I could ever imagine, I think, was having a paper route.
0: Well, good for you. Long answer so you to do a, a, a... Short question. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm always interested in people's backgrounds, you know. There was a book a, a, a long time ago, I mean, like 15, 20 years ago, called uh, Get Fired and Get Fired Up. So many entrepreneurs mm-hmm. begin their entrepreneurial journey because they lose their job, you know, which was actually how mm-hmm. I started. And um, so I was just, I'm mm-hmm. always curious about how people get into the entrepreneurial world. Um, so you're a marketing guy. You're a marketing guy. And I know you got a few different ventures going on where you, you work, uh, you know, in a consultative mode and you got some. Um, the marketing multipliers. What's your – do you have a certain specialty? Like I, you mentioned earlier, you were a copywriter. Um, do you do uh, copy? Like w- w- what do you love to do?
1: What I love to do is just help business owners uh, remove the blockages that are standing between them and uh, new revenue. Many times the obstacles are in our own heads. Uh, I think you're a coach, so you probably – tell this to people you work with, you know, Yogi Berra said it best, 90% of this game is half mental. And for most of us, the the blockages are in our head. We don't want to go back and, you know, we don't want to send another email to the prospects in our database because they didn't buy after the first two emails. You know, what can I possibly say this third time? We don't want to try direct mail because it's expensive and I don't know how to do that. We don't want to make phone calls to past clients because they may be, you know, unhappy with us and they don't want to hear from us. So what I love to do with entrepreneurs, typically my my clients are running businesses between uh, $1 and $20 million, is to just ask them three questions. What's working, what's not, and what's next? And those three questions, I can go for 30 minutes in most cases because for most people, something's working. I can't multiply zero. So I don't work with startups. I don't work with part-time people or or entrepreneurs. So if something's working, we can multiply that. We can optimize that. If something is not working, we can either fix it or we can stop doing it and you know move your time and money to the stuff that's working. And then what's next is simply do more of what's working, go in a direction that's promising. And uh, you know, as Peter Drucker calls it, strategic abandonment. The stuff that you stop doing is just as important as the stuff that you start doing. So those three questions are. Uh, just rich in terms of the ideas and the actions and the strategies they can generate for folks. What's working, what's not, what's next. I just love to get on the phone with my clients and prospective clients and, and talk over those three questions.
0: You know, um, so I'm over 50 like you, and um, I've been doing this for, for quite a while and I do see some similarities when I'm working uh, with a new client, whether they're, you know, on on the newer side, either in, in time or in revenue, have you found that there's um, certain things that are holding people back? I know you mentioned mindset, and I completely agree with that. Is it is it an unwillingness to take a shot again, or are they just feeling, like, gun-shy uh, to actually try something? Or what do you think what – are, what are some of I the think- big obstacles you see?
1: I think for a lot of people, one problem that I can fix, and you can probably fix it too, is they don't have a system in place. They don't have daily rituals. They don't have checklists. checklist. They're winging it most of the time. Almost without exception, people wake up, and they'll go check email, you know, among the first things that they do. That's just a colossal mistake, because you're playing defense at that point. As soon as you open your email program, you're like, I used to play hockey. I was a goalie. You're... you're 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 now a target. People are shooting stuff at you. And that's fine if you enjoy that. But, you know, defense is not how you move forward. So the first thing is to just have a plan for your day. And you've been told this before, of course, but it comes down to the actions that you're taking. If you're getting into email, you know, before lunch, it's probably a mistake. Now, there are exceptions to this if you're waiting for a specific email message, fine, go look for it. And then if you don't see it, close the program. But for most people, they're just winging it every day. They're playing defense. That's one um, barrier that I see. The other thing I see with a lot of folks, and you probably see this too, Jim, especially for, you know, uh, folks who have only been on the Internet for a few years, they're trying to do everything with email or social media. And especially if you sell a service, which is an intangible, and I sell a very expensive service. You really can't expect to, to make as many sales as you can if you're just depending on digital bits and bytes to do the selling for you. No matter how beautiful your proposal is, if you deliver it on a PDF, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a non-zero chance that someone could be sitting on the can reading your proposal on their smartphone, and that's just not a good selling environment. So you really want to take control of things and present your proposals or your sales messages, your lead generation stuff. Try to get them something tangible in addition to or instead of online. What I teach a lot of folks is that one plus one can equal three. If you've got a good, you know, series of emails, you've got a good website, that's fine. But for crying out loud, get them something into their hands, whether it's something printed or even a handshake. You know, the best way to sell someone is to meet them in person, whether it's one-on-one or a seminar uh, but just think, one plus one equals three. Online plus offline equals terrific results, much of the time. And so I try to teach that to everybody.
0: So when did you come up with? Uh, I like the ner- I like the name, marketing multipliers. When when did that occur to you, either as a as a great name or or as a strategy as you were kind of figuring things out for clients? I'm I'm curious about that.
1: Yeah, good question. I think that goes back about three years. Uh, I was always – so I went to, went to Michigan State University, so I consider myself a Spartan. And I've always been fascinated by the, the story of, you know, the 300 Spartans versus the 150,000 uh, Persians. That's that's a huge difference in, in size. But if you're familiar with that story, you know, the Spartans faced off against the Persians. I think it was uh, 480 B.C., they, they fought at a narrow mountain pass called Thermopylae. And so th- this allowed the Spartans to hold off the Persians for uh, two full days, and they were outnumbered 500 to 1. How did they do it? Well, the Spartans picked a, a little bottleneck, a, a narrow uh, mountain pass. And so the 150,000 Persians had to file in and, and fight pretty much one-on-one. Well, no one beats the Spartans one-on-one. They were the best um, fighters in the ancient world. So the by choosing the correct... Uh, ground to defend, the Spartans totally negated the numerical advantage of their bigger bigger opponent. So in military terms, this is called a force multiplier. A force multiplier is anything that adds to the fighting effectiveness of a, of, a, of a fighting force. So it could be your morale, it could be your weapons, your training, the ground that you're defending. All of those are examples of force multipliers. And so I've always you know, I've known about that for years. I'm kind of a military buff, but then I was thinking it would be terrific if I could apply this to marketing. How could I, instead of you know force multipliers, what would marketing multipliers look like? So I actually invented the name before I invented the concept. I had to fit the <laughs> concept to the name. So I started thinking, well, you know, what did the Spartans do? It was a small decision. They could have, you know, they could have said, let's go fight on the on the on the on the on the big plane out there. And they would have been mowed down in 30 seconds, right? 30 seconds, they would have been just cut down. No, let's, let's go over here and defend this narrow mountain pass. So a small decision. It's just a matter of where you're going to deploy your forces. So I came up with the criteria that, you know, marketing multipliers are typically small actions that deliver big results. They're typically low cost or no cost. I don't like, you know, big expensive things. I can, I'm just like anybody. And the third component, they're often tangible. Uh, to make a deeper, more lasting connection with a prospect. Even though I do much of my work online, I'm a big fan of, you know, getting tangible and going offline. So with those, you know, those are kind of the three criteria because, you know, entrepreneurs are busy. You don't want to be given a a huge list of things to do. So I try to give people simple, small actions that are low cost or no cost, and they can also be delivered tangibly in many cases, and they can deliver big results. So those are, you know, marketing multipliers. I, I come up with a different... Uh, tool, a different marketing multiplier every month for my subscribers and and I've got 11 of them profiled in my new book and so we can talk about some examples if you like but basically it's the idea of a force
0: multiplier
1: used in business and that's that's what a marketing multiplier is.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I would love a couple examples. I want to ask you first. So um, a few minutes ago, you said some people might not want to send an additional email because they've already emailed somebody twice. You know, it's kind of the the, the no guts, no glory type thing. Is that mm-hmm. common, do you think? Do a lot of people, is that, I mean, I, goodness sakes, email marketing and things like that have been around a long time, but I guess it de- depends if you're mm-hmm. working with more of an entrepreneurial mindset or working with a, you know, a, a big corporation who's like afraid of offending people. What kind of clients do you typically mm-hmm. work with, and, and what do you th- what do you think about that?
1: So my typical client is uh, it's usually a business doing again maybe one to twenty million dollars in revenue, five to fifty employees. I typically work with the CEO or the president. It's typically, their title is president or owner. Um, and so, surprisingly. One of the big objections I have is, I'm going to give you it. I just I've just been doing this for a client this week. They have no systematic email follow- up. every sales rep sends emails when or if the urge hits them. there's just no system, and it's it's incredible to me that this goes on all the time. But they're selling a software solution that can uh, cost five to ten thousand dollars a year. The clients typically stay with them for, let's say, five years, so that you know it's a fifty, $100,000 um, sale if they if they play their cards right, and they have no systematic email. So I said, I'm going to write you seven emails, and you're going to send these in the first 20 days after you get a prospect, and there was pushback, as there often is, from the sales reps who were saying, we don't want to follow a script. We don't want to sound stilted or uh, unnatural, and my response to them is always the same. Well, you're following the script now. Your script right now is I'm going to make this crap up on the fly. And you're defaulting to something now. Why not default to language that I'm pretty sure is going to work because it's based on, you know, email marketing techniques I've been using since 1994. And and I'm not making this stuff up out of thin air because what I do on every project, I'll interview at least one typically two sales professionals or whoever's doing the selling, I will talk to them on the phone, and I will transcribe our conversation. And I did this for this client. In addition, I had him send me the recording of a sales call that resulted in a sale. Well, I transcribed that. It was their best sales guy. I got like 20 pages of copy from a 50-minute phone call. All of that went into the emails that I wrote. And so I guess – so loop back and, and try to answer. For for most people, you're probably saying things right now on the phone or offhand that are selling for you. Why not be systematic about it and find what works and just do it again and again and again? It's not a script. It's not you know, everyone uses a script. Every movie you've ever seen uses a script. The trick is to just make it natural to you. You can make a few changes, but don't cut out, you know, the guts. And don't default to winging it, which it, this goes back to what I said at the very beginning. You know, most people do have a script. It's called winging it. And that's just, you know, would you get on a plane with the pilot said, yeah, I'm not doing the uh, checklist today. I've been flying for 25 years. I think it's pretty good. So hang on. We're going to go right now. I mean, you, you'd just be dialing 911. You'd start a riot. <laughs> you, you would not fly with any pilot like that. Your business is just as important to you and your livelihood and to your family. So, you know, stop winging it. Find out what works. Systematize the thing. If it's not working to your satisfaction, fine. At least you've got some results that you can modify going forward. But for God's sake, you know, just stop winging it. That advice alone is going to help almost 90% of the clients within five minutes of my first
0: talking to them. I agree with you. How are marketing multipliers different from, you know, say, other marketing ideas? So that's a good question i think
1: um i'll give you some examples here basically what i'm trying to do is give these are ideas and tools for busy people another analogy i tell real quick is you could you know you can learn to tell time by uh, looking at the sun and reading books and maybe talking to some native americans you can figure out what time it is just by looking at the sun or you can look at a watch right so learning to tell time is a, is a skill that takes a while to develop why not use a tool that can help you instantly for what I do as a copywriter, it took me, you know, 23 odd years to get fairly confident in what I do, fine. But you probably don't have 23 years to get this good as a business owner. So I'm going to give you some tools that to kind of, you know, neg- uh, remove the need for skills. That's what I'm trying to do with marketing multipliers. One example I like to give, because everyone can immediately understand, and I call it the paper email. Um, I invented this by accident. About six years ago, I'd been to a Jay Abraham event, and one of the speakers there was a guy by the name of Seth Godin, who most of us know. This was 2009. And he he gave a really great talk, and I wanted to send him an email saying, Seth, I loved your talk. And I was about to hit the send button, and I realized, well, you know what? He's going to get 150 other emails today, and I'd like to make sure he sees mine. I was thinking, well, why don't I send it FedEx? And I thought, well... 40 bucks, whatever. Why don't, and I like FedEx, obviously. <laughs> I used to work for them. So it takes a lot for me to not FedEx something to something. But I said, well, how about I'll just print this email and I'll put it in an envelope and mail it to Seth. So literally, I was about to hit send, but instead I hit print. Printed the email, signed it, put a PS and said, you know, I sent you this paper email to make absolutely positively sure I got through your spam filter. Ha ha, lame joke, whatever. But I put it in an envelope and mailed it to Seth and Forgot about it. And about five, six days later, I got a voicemail. It was a phone call from Seth. And I could tell he was in his car because of the background noise. And he said, hey, Kevin, I got your thank you note. It was super nice. Just want to let you know I got it. Thank you. And so, unfortunately, I didn't get his call live. But I saved the voicemail because he's still a hero of mine. I thought, well, that's interesting. I made one of the busiest, most successful marketers on earth, you know, pick up the phone and call me from his car. So that was an example of winging it, right? I was winging it. Well, at that point, I switched over to strategists. I thought, well, this happened once accidentally. I want to make this happen on purpose all the time. So I started very deliberately uh, writing and printing uh, these emails, and I and I started giving them a title at the top says "Paper Email," and then the opening paragraphs developed over time. Finally, I settled on language that's something like, you know, why did I send you this paper email question uh, mark? I wanted to make absolutely positively sure I got through your spam filter because, you know, this message is important. And then the rest of the message was basically what I was going to send you by email anyway. But um, I also signed it. And by making an email tangible and mailing the thing, you know, I started getting uh, inter- more interviews with prospects. I got a, a, mag- a magazine editor locally to feature my, uh, one of my articles. She called me and said, this is pretty funny. I like this. The universal reaction, by the way, is pretty much humor. People like these things. And what's important is that I mail them typically uh, in a small square envelope or at least a hand-addressed envelope because it looks personal that way. And as you know, if you've done any kind of direct mail, if you send a personal looking letter to somebody, the open rate is going to be, you know, 80%, 90% at worst versus email. And, you know, what's a typical open rate these days, Jim? It's like, you know, 25%, 30% break out the party hats if you get the 30%. So the paper email, by the way, but yes, this is direct mail by another name. But when you say direct mail to an entrepreneur, they start throwing up defenses. Oh, I can't afford that, or I can't afford a copywriter, or I don't know what kind of envelope. How are we going to do this? What are we going to say? So when I tell people it's the paper email, and it's basically any good message you were going to send by email anyway, why not print the thing and put it in an envelope? This lowers the resistance in people's minds nine times out of ten, and they're willing to give it a shot. And guess what? The thing gets results. I just got an email today from a, yesterday from a client. She mailed out eleven. To a list of cold prospects, and one of them scheduled a software demo, and so that's potentially uh, a five ten. This is a different client than the one I mentioned earlier. By the way, this is a potentially uh, twenty thousand in, dollars in revenue uh, from a, a cold prospect who was not responding to email. So yeah, this thing works, and it's one of my favorite marketing multipliers. Because really, what skills do you need to, to pull this off? You know, can you lick a stamp? <laughs> can you hand address envelope? Can you? I mean, can you push the print button? And you can do these, by the way, on at scale. I have, uh, you know, contractors who work with me. I've done mass mailings of paper emails. But it's oftentimes for someone who's a high-value prospect and they're just not responding to your emails. This is an easy way to just change the medium of how you're communicating with them. If they've not responded to two or three emails, why not try a paper email? and see what happens. So that's one of my favorite marketing multipliers. It's the one that people immediately go, oh, I can do that. And that's my goal. I want to give people tools and ideas where instead of feeling intimidated, ideally you're going to think, oh, I can do that. That's that's pretty easy. And then you'll just keep doing more of it and uh, your, your sales can take off. Watch it happen.
0: That's amazing. I, I mean, I'm really intrigued by that. That was a that was an amazing nugget. Really appreciate that. I'm down about five minutes. I'd love, could you share? Do you have another? Do you have another one as powerful as that, <laughs> or at least share one more multiplier? That was really good, Kevin. Yeah.
1: Well, I think real quick, I have something I call the ideal client card. Again, this is a tangible thing. The 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 cost is a three by five card, and that's it. And basically, this is based on an idea uh, from the book, um, The Smarter, Better, Faster, by Charles Dewey. Uh, it's a terrific book, uh, and he was, in that book, sharing a case study of a school in Cleveland. I think they tripled their test scores. They The teachers became, you know, three times more effective, and they did it by ditching an online dashboard that showed, uh, you know, the test scores of all their students because it just wasn't working. So this big high-tech, you know, system that wasn't working, what did they replace it with? Three-by-five cards. What they did was it the – the directive came down. And all the teachers had to create a card for each student, writing down their their test scores and the homework and all the you know the key performance indicators. I guess you could say for a teacher. They then had to go into the teachers' lounge or a special room just for this purpose and spend an hour every day or so uh, updating the cards and talking to other teachers and exchanging ideas. What happened was when the teachers started physically handling these cards that represented their students. They made a physical, you know, tangible connection with their students, and it completely changed how they were thinking about the kids, and it started setting off all kinds of new ideas. And on top of that, when the teachers were talking to each other in the lounge, they would say, well, Jimmy takes the same bus as Sally, your, your student. What if we gave them homework where they can help each other? Or, hey, Fr-, you know, Frankie in my class and a couple other kids are really responding to this algebra um chart I came up with, and so another teacher would adopt it. So by making the data tangible and, you know, and handling these cards for their students every day, the test scores uh, increased 300% with no new uh, spending on technology. So that's another light bulb moment for me. I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Well, how can I use this in marketing? Well, here's how. We've all heard about the idea of the customer avatar, right? You come up with a name. It's Sally. She's 37. She has two kids. She lives in, you know, suburbs, blah, blah, blah. And customer avatar is fine. It's the demographic data of your ideal customer. But I thought, well, what if we made it tangible just like uh, the, the teachers did at the school district? So what I came up with was the idea of what I call the ideal client card, basically, You take the top five clients. We all have, you know, the top tier clients, the most valuable. They refer the most. They spend the most. These are the people you could clone. uh, You would clone if you could. So you find their picture on LinkedIn or Facebook. You can get it easily. You put their name at the top. And on my version of this and the version that I teach, you put down, you know, the source. Where did I get them? How much did they pay me every month or per project? What is their lifetime revenue? It's usually a big number. And then uh, there's some more data, but the the final thing I will put down is what is the upside? In other words, you know, what else could I do for this client? So I've got them on my desk here. I've got five of them for my five top clients. And when you average them out, their typical lifetime revenue, by the way, is fifty-six thousand five hundred eighty-nine dollars. So there's some serious, you know, revenue in some of these in some of these cards. I try to handle them every day. I shuffle through them, and I make uh, connections in in my brain, the neurons physical connections by by handling this data. Instead of passively looking at it on my screen, on a dashboard, I'm handling these cards and I'm making new connections. And as a result, I started to get, you know, more referrals from these people. And one client actually doubled his retainer with me every month. It was an extra $3,000 a month simply because I kept handling his card and realized, well, wait, I could do for him. Anthony what I did for Jill and Ron and so when I proposed to Anthony he said yes so all these little things started happening because I was making you know physical contact with these cards who represented my ideal client so this is a tactic a tool that I teach to people it's in my new book and if you I promise you if you start handling you know five or six cards of your most valuable clients every day you're going to make new connections that are completely impossible by simply you know passively looking at this data in infusion or on screen Salesforce, whatever, when you're actively, tangibly handling these cards, you're going to make new connections in your head, and you're going to make, you know, profitable connections in your business. So that's one of my other favorite tools. I call it the ideal client card, and coincidentally enough, it's um, featured in my new book, uh, which is called Marketing Multipliers.
0: Tell us how um, – first of all, tell us how to get your book, and then also, uh, if it's different, give us a website where people can connect with you because I think uh, people are loving this interview, Kevin.
1: Well, thanks, Jim. So there are two ways you can get the book. You can get it on Amazon, uh, 14 dollars It ships anywhere. Uh, you can also request it in your local bookstore, or you can get it for free. Um, the way to do that is to go to www.marketingmultipliers.com. And what you do there is you can request a free trial box of marketing multipliers. There will be 11 tools inside. These are tangible things that you get by mail because I'm a big believer in tangible stuff. And if you request your free trial box, just reply to your email receipt and say that you heard me on uh, your Stick Like Glue radio show. And anyone who mentions Jim Palmer or Stick Like Glue, uh, I will send you a free copy of my new book. Marketing Multipliers, free of charge. It's an unadvertised special. You just have to mention this podcast, and I'll ship you a free copy of the book. So the website is www.marketingmultipliers.com.
0: Awesome. Kevin, thank you so much. It's been a wonderful interview. I'm I'm excited for my listeners to hear it. Thanks again.
1: Thank you, Jim. It's been a pleasure. We'll talk to you again soon.
0: Okay. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special episode of Stick Like Glue Radio. Thank you to the Dream Business Academy for sponsoring today's show. Again, you get $100 off your registration at dreambizacademy.com. Just use the coupon code podcast at checkout. Thank you to my editors, assistants, all of my Dream Team members who just make what I do look so easy and make my life so darn good. I am Jim Palmer, the host. I'm the Dream Business Coach, and as always, I'm committed to helping you build a more profitable business faster. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week, folks.